Welcome back to Series 3 of Mud Between Your Toes, Conversations with Pete Wood. In this series, I'm interviewing people from around the world, from all walks of life, and all with stories to share. So sit back and enjoy. Hello again. Exhausted from fighting in the Matabele Rebellion of 1896, Hewitt Grogan took some well-earned R&R in New Zealand, where he fell head over heels in love with a society lady called Gertrude. But before he could marry, he needed the approval of Gertrude's skeptical, aristocratic stepfather. Grogan, seeking to prove his worth and earn his love's hand, then set out in 1898 on an epic quest to become the first man to walk the entire length of Africa from Cape to Cairo, as one does. The journey took him three years. A little more than a century later, and inspired by the story of the hitherto unknown British adventurer, American journalist Julian Smith faced down his own fears by retracing that incredible 4,500-mile journey from southern Africa to Sudan, just months before his own wedding. His book, Crossing the Heart of Africa, is the unforgettable account of these twin adventures beautifully interweaving Julian's contemporary journey with Grogan's larger-than-life tale of charging elephants, cannibal attacks, deadly diseases and romantic triumph. Julian joins me today to chat about both his and Hewitt Grogan's extraordinary journey, not to mention the lengths some men will go for the sake of love. So Julian Smith, welcome to Conversations with Pete Wood. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Julian, it's a real pleasure, but I have to say you're one of the most romantic and adventurous of my guests. So please tell us, how did you first hear about Hewitt Grogan? Because oddly, he is definitely one of the least known of the Victorian era explorers. Yeah, it's funny. It was, it was very random. I was reading a book um, about the evolution of language and uh, it was Robert Dunbar, I think it was the author, uh, it was called Grooming Gossip and the Evolution of Language. And there was a chapter about primates and how they related to each other and the things that male primates will do to win the affections of females. And there was just a one sentence, almost a throwaway mention of a guy named Ewart Grogan who actually traveled across Africa and at the end of the 19th century to win the heart of the woman he loved. And then he author goes on to talk about uh, very, very, uh, very different other things. But that, that one paragraph really stuck out at me. And, you know, I love these accounts of historical adventure. So I, I looked him up and eventually found his own account of his journey, which is still out there. It's actually uh, available free online. And it's, it's actually a really good read compared to a lot of these dry old accounts. And so I kind of got hooked on his story after that. What exactly inspired you to take on such an epic journey? I, I mean, you're a travel writer by profession and you've been to Central Africa before, so you must have had an inkling as to the hazards that lay ahead. Yeah, so I, this was in the late 2000s and um, I, was, I was grappling with the, uh, the emotions about the idea of getting married for the first time. 
and I was, you know, perhaps dragging my feet a little bit and and worried about jumping into something that was a lifelong commitment. And then I remembered uh, you were at Grogan's story and I kind of started to make a, a connection with this guy, although, you know, our motivations were different. We were both um, we were both involved with someone we cared about very much. And I, I started looking at his journey and thought, wow, maybe this could be uh, my last great adventure before settling down. And uh, that's kind of what it turned out to be. I mean, obviously, you both did it for love. Grogan to win the hand of Gertrude and you to prove something to your fiance, Laura. But it's interesting to think that Grogan only knew Gertrude for a few weeks and yet put huge faith in the fact that she wouldn't give up on him. Needless to say, he was plagued by the thought that he might finally reach Cairo only to find that she'd already got hitched. But was your journey purely for love or was there something within yourself that needed to be done? No, there was, there was definitely the, uh, the attraction of doing a, a long, challenging trip like this before. I'd never really done this kind of travel before. And, you know, there was, of course, the allure of risk and danger and seeing how far I could get. Um, certain, certain of these countries that he traveled through um, today, even today, are were at the time and still are uh, very unhappy places. So you know, it was the the lure of adventure and risk, and um, you know, getting in one big one before before settling down. I mean, Laura did something that was wonderfully romantic. She gave you a bunch of red envelopes to be opened one by one throughout the journey. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was, it was an interesting uh, contrast because when Grogan was doing his journey, um, he was completely out of touch from basically anybody for months and months at a time. He could only uh, get in touch with, you know, what he considered civilization every time he passed a, a telegraph office, which in the places he was in were, were very, very few and far between. Um, you know, this was, for me, it was the end of the 2000s. So we had cell phones by then, we had email. And so I could have been in touch, you know, basically every day if I wanted to, but, you know, I chose to, to you know, isolate myself a little bit, but it was, it was a really sweet gesture that Laura made, um, you know, kind of an old fashioned gesture, uh, this packet of uh, notes to open, I think it was once a week. And, you know, it, it gave the it gave the trip kind of a, a flavor of, uh, you know, old fashioned romance, I'd say. And kept your morale up, I should imagine. Definitely, because there were points where that needed to happen. Yeah, you know, the book is a fabulous blend of adventure story, love story, historical record and travel journal. But of course, even though you were both following the same route, separated, of course, by a hundred years from Baira through Malawi and the Great Lakes region up to Sudan, the trials and tribulations you both endured, and there were many, were both worlds apart and yet strangely familiar. In fact, a few of the places you went to are still as dangerous today as they were when Grogan passed through them. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, Eastern Congo, um, Southern Sudan at the time I was there were both uh, very dangerous places. I actually ended up bypassing uh, Eastern Congo, which was the place where Grogan had his uh, great horrific adventure of being pursued by cannibals for a couple days at a dead run. Um, 
uh, Southern Sudan, um, which now is actually a separate country from Sudan. Um, at the time I was there, it was in the process of breaking away. Um, Grogan entered the, it, it's a vast wasteland of swamps up there at the headwaters of the Nile. And that was the very end of his trip. And it probably is where he came closest to death of his entire adventure. Um, I only went as far as I comfortably could uh, to the city of Juba. And beyond that, uh, it would it would have gotten far too sketchy. I, there was only really so much risk I was willing to take compared to Grogan, who was probably willing to go right up to the edge. But I also had a deadline. I needed to be home in time for our wedding. So yeah, there, there was there was definitely some similarities. Some of the places haven't changed very much at all. Um, some many places are just as beautiful uh, as they were 100 years ago. And that, that was definitely one of the, the most interesting parts of the trip was comparing uh, his detailed descriptions of these various places that he went to what they were like today. I mean, for you, what were the biggest hurdles to get past? There must have been times when you really regretted your decision. After all, your journey wasn't without risk. Or as a travel writer, is this something that you're quite used to? You know, I, I started travel writing in my early 20s, um, doing guidebooks uh, to and articles to places around the world. And there's definitely something that changes as you get older, where the, the allure of the, the difficulty changes from part of the fun to a, a hurdle. You know, you're not as willing to ride for eight hours in the back of a pickup truck with six other people uh, because it's fun and exotic. It becomes, when you get in your 30s and 40s, it becomes more of a burden. Um, so I was kind of at that point in my life as well. But, you know, the biggest risks, I think, of, uh, of my trip, honestly, it was probably very mundane experiences. Um, I, I, it's funny, I, as a story I tell my, my kids now, um, it's probably the, the riskiest thing I've ever done in my life is ride on the back of a motorcycle in East Africa at night in the rain with no helmet. Uh, statistically speaking, that is probably the closest I've ever come to death. Um, but you know, a, a lot of the risks that Grogan faced aren't 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 uh, valid. You know, they they're not a risk today. But you know, vehicular traffic definitely. Um, disease not not as much. I was really lucky that I didn't catch anything for more than a couple of days at a time. Um, you know, he was close to death probably for half his trip from various maladies that he, uh, he caught. Um, so yeah, it, again, it was, it was a contrast of, uh, you know, daily risk for him. Yes. For me, occasionally, mostly, you know, riding on top of buses that, you know, the brakes were kind of questionable. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was alternately fun and nail biting. Let's say. Did you ever give yourself a chance to enjoy the journey? I mean, it was hardly five-star luxury, was it? Even the ferry on Lake Tanganyika was a clapped-out old tub first launched during World War One. Yeah, the story of that ship is, is worth a book in itself. There actually has been books written about that. It started as a German troop transport. Um, it was the model for the enemy ship in the, uh, the Humphrey Bogart movie, The African Queen, uh, it sank, it was, it was raised again, and now it's the, uh, basically a floating transport ship slash hotel that goes up and down Lake Tanganyika once a week, basically a floating city. So yeah, you know, it, it wasn't, it's definitely not five stars, but it's, it's an unforgettable experience. You know, it's like nothing else in the world. 
And so, you know, that was, that was one of many points on the trip where, you know, it wasn't necessarily comfortable, but it was something I'll remember for the rest of my life, seeing the, the mountain gorillas in Rwanda, or just, you know, some of the scenery in Rwanda and Lake Malawi, Lake Tanganyika it is just stunning and spectacular. So there was, there was definitely moments um, where I was just kind of bowled away by how lucky I was to be able to, to see some of this stuff and experience it. And also interacting with the people along the way. Um, my, my interactions with uh, the folks I met were overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people were fascinated by me. They were, they were always up for a, a conversation about where I came from and to tell me about their lives. I had people invite me into their homes to meet their families. Um, I only had one child throw up in my lap on a bus. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, there were definitely high points along the way. I'm glad you mentioned that because my other question was going to be, are there any countries you would want to return to and enjoy as a, maybe as a tourist at your own leisure? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, places like Rwanda, Uganda, uh, Tanzania, um, many, many places I'd love to go back to and, you know, take my family this time. Grogan, as you said, suffered from well, terrible bouts of malaria and dysentery, was chased by very real cannibals who you mentioned in the book rather revoltingly tore and ate the human flesh without even cooking. And of course, fought several skirmishes with the Dinka, his party, um, was plagued by theft and got lost several times. It must have been a very lonely existence. But what I felt when reading your account was that loneliness is something you actually kind of revel in. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's easy to take for granted in our daily lives how many people we're surrounded by and just the familiarity of, of our experience and our, our lives. And I think it's really valuable um, to be to be the outsider and to be in a place where you know nobody, uh, you often don't speak the language, you have to depend on the goodwill of others to, to just get through the day. And it, it can be very uncomfortable at times, uh, but I think it's, I think it's very valuable. Um, it, it just shows you how most of the people in the world live and how outsiders in your culture feel. And you know to be, to be a minority, um, is something that not a lot of folks, um, you know, in our lives really experience. And so, uh, you know, again, talking about my kids, I'd love to take them to places like this um, to kind of to just experience how, how a good chunk of humanity on the planet um, feels. Absolutely. I mean, it's a lovely little book and it, I love the way you describe all the different countries throughout Africa. Um, for Grogan, he finally got to Cairo, Cairo and then went on to London and married Gertrude and by all accounts lived a very happy life in Kenya. He certainly proved himself and became the youngest member of the Royal Geographic Society, met Queen Victoria, became a household name in Kenyan politics, set up uh, Africa's first children's hospital, ran a successful sisal plantation built a railway line, built Mombasa's first deep water port, 
Um, eventually, Gertrude died of cancer in 1943, and Ewart, in 1967, aged 92, he began life in the Victorian era when Africa was quite literally terra incognita. And by the time he died, man had walked on the moon. Undeniably, it was all worthwhile for Grogan. But how about you, Julian? We need to ask. I mean, you must be enormously proud of your achievement. Yeah, you know, I am. I, it, it was, it was a little, 14 years ago. So in a way, it seems like a different life. Um, but, you know, I, I have never taken a journey like that since. Um, you know, two months on the road alone um, across eight countries. Um, yeah, I was, I was very, I was very proud to, to have been able to do that. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the book. Um, Laura and I eventually did get married. So in that sense, it worked. Um, yeah, so, you know, I would, I don't know if I could do it again today. I'm, I'm 48. I have a family. Um, I don't know if my body could take it, um, much less getting two months off from work. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an experience, uh, you know, I'll, I'll treasure and I'll probably never repeat. Now, your, your book, Crossing the Heart of Africa, is available on Amazon. And you also have two other books, Smoke Jumper, a memoir by one of America's most select airborne firefighters, and Aloha Rodeo, which is about three Hawaiian cowboys. They sound brilliant. But what are you actually working on right now? Right now, I'm, uh, I'm working on uh, a number of articles for magazines, um, and I'm looking for the next book project, as always. Um, and I'm also, you know, from time to time, um, even though the Africa book was uh, years ago, uh, it still uh, connects to my life nowadays. There was, there was a, a number of coincidences that I found even after I came back from Africa. I live in Portland, Oregon now. And there's been two uh, incredible coincidences, I think, that have happened since the book came out. Uh, one is that it turns out that one of Grogan's great-grandsons lives uh, about 10 miles outside of Portland. And he came up and introduced himself after one of the book readings I did. Um, so I got to meet him and hear some of his stories about his family. And I was also contacted by another family that lives here in Portland who said, uh, I think it was the husband who said his grandfather was the editor of a newspaper in Cape Town, which is where Grogan spent the last few years of his life. And as it turns out, um, Grogan knew this man and apparently gave him a number of weapons that he had collected over his life, some even supposedly from his journey, uh, who, that had been passed down through the family. And he had them in his house here in Portland. And I got to go over and see these spears and clubs that, as the story goes, Grogan gave to this man's uh, grandfather decades and decades ago in Cape Town, South Africa. So that was, uh, it was really an amazing experience to see some items, some artifacts um, from this man himself. Wow. Well, he sounded like quite a guy, I must say, and very glamorous, wasn't he? Yes, he was definitely glamorous. He was ambitious, um, while at the same time, you know, as you said, he he's almost been forgotten outside of Africa. And, you know, people ask why that happened. Why wasn't he, you know, another Livingston or another Richard Burton? And I always think it's because he never really wanted to. You know, these guys had the ones who became famous. Um, 
definitely aimed for that in, in certain aspects. Um, and he, Grogan really um, never sought that kind of fame. He, he accomplished his goal and he turned to his, his efforts towards um, his life in East Africa, in the colony of Kenya. And, uh, you know, he, he was definitely a, a singular person, incredibly smart, incredibly ambitious. Um, he was wickedly funny. His book about his experience is a, is a great read. I, 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 have to, I have to recommend that. You know, he was definitely a product of his time when it came to attitudes about things like race. He could be a, a real hard ass at sometimes too, which comes through from other people's accounts of him. And, uh, you know, even in, even in his own book, he was definitely not somebody that suffered fools and you didn't let anybody push him around. But, you know, all in all, a really fascinating character. And uh, I always hope he, he can, his place in the history of exploration um, that my book can, can help let people know about that because his journey was really one of the last great journeys of the golden age of exploration in Africa. Um, it was in 1899 to 1901, and nobody really did anything like that before or since. Julian Smith, travel writer, adventurer, we're actually out of time. Thank you for joining me on Conversations with Pete Wood. Thanks for having me, it's been fun. Well, that's all for now, but if you enjoyed listening to that podcast, you might also find my book, Mud Between Your Toes, faintly amusing. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find both series one and two of my podcasts on a plethora of platforms, from direct links on my Mud Between Your Toes Facebook page to apps such as Podbean, Apple Music, iTunes Store, Spotify Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, and Google Podcasts. So don't miss out on my next episode. Goodbye.